Hey, Megan. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Well, let's let's do this thing. Yeah, let's do it. So, Kevin, I'll just start off by asking you, um, how did you get started playing in the industry and doing all the producing that you do for different artists? Take us back to the beginning, friend. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't I don't know where to put the beginning. The beginning's always been. Um, well, I'm from Kentucky. I grew up there and uh, lived in Nashville since the late. 80s but um growing up in kentucky i i was always dragging around a guitar and then by the time i was 12 i was playing uh bluegrass and country and uh, always gospel music always in church and that kind of thing but i took guitar lessons from a really renowned bluegrass musician named larry beasley he played uh banjo for people like Carl Story, played for Bill Monroe, James Monroe, and, and he uh, he was well-known in Kentucky and and just a great, you know, great teacher. So uh, I, I learned from him, and then I began to try to apply all of that stuff to uh, all of the, the music that I was enjoying, everything from classical music to uh, lots of country and Elvis and, and you name it. I was in the Eagles and, and uh, tons of wild jazz guitar players, you know, and, and, uh, then my, my base that I always came back to, uh, were people like the happy Goodmans. They were from Kentucky there or, or were living in Kentucky and Dottie Rambo, uh, grew up on uh, a lot of Southern gospel and a lot of Gaither music, which was called, uh, inspirational music back then. Uh, they, you know, it, Bill's always yeah. created these, these genres basically and now they have gaither music homecoming music that kind of thing so he's created three or four genres of music over his uh career span and uh we grew up on all of that stuff and and just you know began to be influenced in a lot of different ways um i always enjoyed playing with all of the gospel groups in kentucky and in that area that that i could uh traveled regionally with Groups like the Rock of Ages Quartet and the Sons and the Joymakers, you know, a bunch of mm-hmm. bunch of wonderfully talented uh, people who who didn't travel terribly far because they all had jobs and that kind of thing, but they were doing this truly as a ministry and, and for the joy of it. So um, did that for a lot of years, and then um, always had the desire to do music professionally in a couple of different ways. I I, I promised the Lord when I was 17 years old, if he ever gave me a stage to stand on, that I would stand on it for him. And so regardless of the styles of music that I enjoyed, um, you, you know, I think I think music is music. You can enjoy uh, a thousand different styles of it, you know. And then when it comes down to your ministry and, and who you think you are and your calling, your purpose, and what you're here on this earth for, you got to really whittle that down. And it becomes not about style, but about substance. So if I was going to stand on a stage, I, I was going to do that for the Lord. And um, and, and that was a, a real firm commitment I made to him at 17 even. So um, God began to just throw my life into motion. And uh, by the time I was 22, I moved to Nashville. Um, I I knew about these guys that worked in the recording studios down there. Typically, when you see an artist on stage, and you see their band, 
Um, now in gospel music, there's not a lot of bands uh, yeah. now, but but uh, there were back then. And uh, nowadays, a lot of guys use tracks, or they use uh, uh, piano and tracks, or you know, some combination like that. But I came from an era where everybody was using these these four to six, seven piece bands that really sounded great, you know. And um, in worship music, you see that too. So um, I uh, I wanted to do that, and then I wanted to work in the studio. Uh, typically, you don't see those musicians on the records. You you see another group of musicians pop up frequently on everybody's records because these guys spend their lives creating for producers and, and producers know what they can get out of these musicians and you have to be really skilled to do that you have to read and you have to know um the lingo and you have to be able to read minds just about and and be well versed in style and your technical skills have to be good so um i would see the same names pop up on on album covers for all of the groups and and i was listening back then to uh, guitarists like uh, acoustic guitarists, like a guy named Bobby Thompson. These are names you wouldn't know because they're studio guys. A guy named Bobby All. There was a guy named Jimmy Caps who who uh, is still he's on the RFD network on Larry's Diner now, and still around and still plays great. I was listening to all these guys, and then um, electric guitar players. Everybody from uh, you know in in the country circles back then, Brent Rowan and. Fred Newell and a bunch of guys were on there. I was listening to jazz guys like Al Demiola and uh, Larry Carlton. And uh, I listened to Peter Frampton. And, you know, I mean, I was getting stuff from yeah. everybody. Um, Elvis had a guitar player back in the 70s uh, who also played before that with Ricky Nelson and uh, some guys. James Burton was his name. And he he was amazing. So I was just getting as much information in this crazy head of mine as I could and trying to emulate styles and figure out what I do and get into these studios where I, I wanted to create and eventually produce. And so uh, that began to happen in the late eighties. I was traveling with, uh, at the, I had been with the Blackwoods for about a year and then uh, with Wendy Bagwell and the Sunlighters, I was with them for about five years. And during that time I began to build up my, my session uh, skills and, and uh, contact base producers began to call. And so I uh, started working for some great producers in Nashville and playing on records. And, and that would, would be the beginning of the professional aspect of, of production, I, I guess you'd say, even though there was a, a lot of homework <laughs> before that, you know. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know most of that. That is so neat. Oh, my goodness. So talk about the first time when you walked into that studio. What what was it like? Like what were you feeling? Like Well, I so I've been fortunate enough to to do studio work in Kentucky, uh although at that time studios were sparse there and uh I had done some jingle work for some local businesses where I would go in and play guitars and other people would do their parts and some guy would produce it, you know, and and um and so I was making a little money and thinking, wow, I may, I may have future at this, you know, and, and I felt, I, I got into a groove and felt pretty comfortable, uh, ran a little studio there in our hometown that belonged to another gentleman. And, uh, and it, it was all very kind of, uh, simplistic, you know, and, and I, yeah. I knew what I was doing when I got to Nashville. Uh, I didn't know anything that I was doing. It's a whole <laughs> different uh, ball game. And so uh, I began to hang out with these guys long before, 
I actually was was paid to do a session. I was showing up at sessions and making friends with the guys and carrying guitars for other guys. And uh, I had a wonderful mentor, Bobby All, that I mentioned before, was uh, yeah. a great mentor to me. And he had played on thousands of records, everybody from Trisha Yearwood to Brooks and Dunn to Doug Stone and uh, all, tons of Christian music as well. And uh, he was very kind to me and helped me with my chart reading and with my writing and with my uh choice of voicings on guitar you know he said in christian music you're competing with a piano for space in that in that recording so you need to stay out of what the piano guys do and stay out of the vocal range figure out where your territory is in this and what you want to say with it you know <laughs> just how to think basically it was um it was a wonderful education for me so by the time i i actually was booked to do sessions i was very nervous of course and nervous about what everybody thought but um but but I, you know, I had been in a lot of Nashville studios up to that time, and and felt like I knew a little bit about what to do. I but I, I was nervous. You know, I think there's always some degree of, well, I hope they like that. You know, that yeah. goes into what you do. So. Oh my goodness! Well, so you did it. You did a lot of studio work for a while, but then the man, the myth, the legend, Bill Gaither, came along. Talk about when he came into the picture and how you met him and sure. just the beginning of that story. Well, so that actually was in a studio on a session. I had gotten booked to play guitar for Bill uh, on a record he was producing. Ben Spear had called me one day, and I'd done a lot of production for Ben. And uh, Ben said, Bill Gaither's coming to town to produce a record on the Statesman. He's putting the Statesman back together with Jake Hess and Hovey Lister. And uh, so would you play guitar on that? I said, yeah. And I'd always wanted to meet Bill. I, I had, you know, uh, seen the trio and loved the vocal band records and, and uh, followed Bill's songs for years. But um, but we'd never met. And uh, so that, that session was about like no other, to be honest with you. It was about yeah. like uh, everything that you do. It, it just, it had an agenda. It had a a sound it needed to capture and bill was really uh in command of that process he didn't always know how to get what he was wanting but he was good enough at describing what he was wanting and, and had you know great personnel around him uh so you were able to to get there and um and that's what a producer does really is is get you to the finished product regardless of you know the means of transportation so um so he came out with a great record on them, and then uh, they hired me back to do another record and another one. So in about, I don't know, two months or maybe six weeks, I had done three records that he had produced. And then I got a call uh, from his office, which I maintained a studio schedule, you know, for years and years and still do, uh, still enjoy that. And um, But I got a call after I'd done those three records from uh, – a guy and and he said uh, they're looking for somebody to go out on the road with them and uh, thought I'd check with you and see if that'd be something you'd be interested in and so I said well yeah that'd, that'd be fun and I was still traveling with Wendy Bagwell and the Sunlighters at the time we were doing sixty dates a year and mm-hmm. um, so I said uh, what's their schedule and he said well they're peeling back to about thirty dates a year he said it's they're not doing very much at all 
this is in uh, 1992, <laughs> the end of 92. So uh, the the trio had had its heyday and had had come, you know, had peaked yeah. and was back down. And then the vocal band had really had its heyday and was back down. And so they were playing to crowds of a couple thousand, and it was just sort of, you know, it was it was kind of at that point in the cycle, like everything does. And uh, yeah. Bill never talks about retiring or anything, but I mean, they were at that point where it was like, you know, let's let's uh, see what we want to do here. And they were only doing about thirty dates. Michael English and Mark Lowry and Terry Franklin and Bill Gaither, just four amazing personalities yeah. and singers. So, um, so I went out on trial run with them and I gave Wendy Bagwell a notice about a three month notice there. Uh, cause they were wonderful to me. It was the greatest five years. And I just, you know, I, I had a great time. And, uh, so I was giving that weekend work up for, for this other thing and then still going to keep my session career going, you know, in, in, through the week there. So, um, uh, I uh, went out a week with them and made every mistake in the world. I, I did three dates and it was horrible. I really, you know, I, I, I just didn't do very much right. Uh, that's all I can say about it. They, they told me that they knew my playing and I didn't have to audition. That it would be fine. I could just go out cold and they'd be fine with that. And that was probably the worst decision they ever made because I, I played horribly uh, that whole weekend. And um, and at the end of the weekend, uh, Bill said, hey, we'll be in touch. This was great. We really enjoyed having you. And uh, the next weekend, they sent me the rest of the year's dates. And um, I've worked 27 years on a handshake at this point. Look so, at that. Uh, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and everybody else you know, in major touring situations, uh, talks about signing a contract or an agreement or, you know, what you have to do, what you have to give up. What you, and uh, I've just had a wonderful handshake and understanding for 27 years and and, uh, and a man of integrity there. And so that's, that's the way it ought to work, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so talk, tell everyone about, so most people see you as, the friendly face at the product table and then you go on stage and you open up the concerts for Bill. But you do so much more behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know about for the Gaither tour. Um, tell everyone a little bit about all that you do kind of behind the scenes that doesn't really get um, talked about all that much. Well, I, I don't know to do that much. I, I, I'm busy with what I do. I know that. Uh, but, uh, everybody just tries to pitch in and do what, you know, makes the night successful. Uh, if you're to a Gaither concert or any, anything, uh, you want an experience and you, there's an expectation there that you should leave, uh, having had a real experience of some sort. And for some, it's, it's a more emotional thing for some, it's more spiritual. Some it's probably intellectual in some way. Uh, some it's just a blessing, good fun. I, I think everybody gets a little something different out of that program. But to make that program happen, um, there, there's several hats that I've I've just taken on because I I uh, I don't know because I did. 
<laughs> and uh, so I, I'm, you know, first and foremost, a guitarist, and uh, uh, I've always taken care of. We have a four-piece band that is extraordinary. Travels with us, so I lead that band with a lot of pride. Uh, don't necessarily need what you think of as a band leader, but um, there's there's got to be a little bit of a fall guy that you know uh, uh, is expected to get the result from the band and doing what we're supposed to do or that let's approach this differently. Why don't you do this? I do this. There's got to be somebody calling a shot every now and then. So that has probably defaulted to me, honestly, just because I've been there so long. But um, but it's what I always wanted to do as well. So I gladly wear that hat. Um, the humor thing that I do um, came, I've always been kind of a, a weirdo, you know, looking at the, uh, the world a different way and remarking in satirical phrase, you know, about it. And uh, so Bill picked up on that a long time ago in the studio before, before I ever went out of the vocal band, he picked up on it. And uh, we would banter back and forth in the studio and that was kind of fun. Everybody would laugh and we had a little shtick, you know, that we, uh, not a rehearsed thing. It was all spontaneous, but, uh, but it was fun. And people, I don't know. It just kind of brought brought a, a laugh or two to the room every now and then when he'd say something and I'd I'd make fun of what he said or you know whatever. Yeah. So when um, Mark Lowry left the first time, and I can't remember what year that was. Uh, I don't know if that was about ninety six or seven or something. But um, but Bill said, let's just do this thing we're doing on stage and we'll continue that. So. Uh, so we did, and and it was, it was weird having a guitar player that talked. Nobody had done that at that point. Now everybody's done that, I think. But but um, nobody had done that, and it's like, why is he talking? Where's it? Where's it coming from? What? Why is he interrupting? You know, he was a little funky, and and so that took a little bit of time to develop. Uh, but I remember some really cool people coming to me, some some big industry people too, saying, "Man, that thing's funny." that the people are going to catch on to that way, you know, someday yeah. and, and they're going to get, so that was a little bit of encouragement to me. Cause it, I got to admit it was quirky and I'm, I'm quirky. Um, but, um, but that was good. And then, uh, still do that. And of course, um, that's the two primary things that you see me do on stage, uh, leading the band. I've got a little headset that I wear up there and I can talk to the band all through the night um, you, you know, giving band cues and, and downbeats and walking us through something if, if it's unfamiliar and that kind of thing. Um, I still take care of the track accompaniment, uh, that we use with the four piece because you can't travel with an orchestra, you know, brass and strings and all that stuff. You can't, there's no way to house and feed and travel with that big of a, of a sound. So we use a four piece band and we, use uh track supplementation to go in with the band and all of that generates from me on stage and uh and i'm calling the songs of the band and telling them what we're doing and um the band's great i mean they know when to come in when to come out they know exactly what they're doing and our house uh, mixer knows how to mix that where it sounds really live and great you know um any video content you see on stage we do a lot of background video stuff uh, with our songs and um, all of that 
on the screens is coming from me. I'm, I'm throwing that out through a computer that sits beside me on stage. And then uh, any cameras that we happen to have along for that particular night, we will have a director uh, in a booth somewhere for the cameras, and then I'm directing the director. So uh, typically it's it's a director, it's a local you know situation there, and they may or may not have ever seen our program. So I'm guiding them through what needs to happen as it's happening, <laughs> because we don't have a set list, we don't have a a prepared program kind of thing, you know, Bill just does what he wants to do. So that, um, that's all happening sort of real time. It's a, it's the busiest program you've ever seen in your life. Uh, if you come up where I'm sitting, it's tremendously busy, you know, but, um, uh, but it makes for a great evening, great experience. And, um, uh, you know, there's just a lot to it that probably folks don't realize. Yeah. But see, Kevin, you do, what you do is so important. It like it. You are the runner of this show. Let's put it this way: the weight of the show is on your shoulders. Without you, would the show even exist? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're funny. But, well, I uh, I enjoy what I get to do, and um, you know all of those things just go into making an experience. And and there's there's a lot of other wonderful people on that tour that are doing multiple things throughout the evening as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm not the exception of the rule. It's, uh, it's, you know, a busy entourage, but man, I tell you, it's worth it at the end of the night when somebody comes to the table and shares an experience with you or shares, you know, some life or, uh, some kind of, uh, testimony of what God's done for them through this music or because of it or something. Um, all your, your blood, sweat and tears just kind of pays off at that moment, you know, and, uh, that's that's what we all desire. That's what that's the best thing that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. So after all your time and um, all your time in this industry, what has just been one highlight for you? Oh gosh, I've had so many. <laughs> I've um, I've been so privileged to work over the years with so many great artists. Um, I mean, if you look on that bio that they send out. Uh, there's artists I never dream I, I'd meet on there, you know, and, uh, yeah. and and yet I'm on their record or I got to lead a band on TV for them or I got to do something cool. And uh, so there's there's tons of those moments. Uh, there's tons of moments that happened for me at the uh, at the record table, um, you know, before or after a concert. And uh those special moments with people where we just get to share. Now, now those things probably top anything um, that I could have done professionally because those things are just real and, and uh, sort of make it all worthwhile, you know? So I, I had to frame it in that context. Um, professionally, of course, playing at Carnegie hall and, and, uh, doing the last Billy Graham crusade, uh, Flushing Meadows, New York, and uh, being at the Billy Graham uh, funeral ceremony uh, with all the world dignitaries and, and uh, playing the Kennedy Center in, uh, in Washington, uh, playing the Sydney Opera House in, in uh, Australia, and, uh, you know, just 
just that kind of thing obviously is really really cool so there have been a lot of milestones uh for me and, and things i just never never dreamed would happen you know yeah absolutely now that we've talked about milestones kevin the people want to know what has been okay. your most embarrassing moment throughout the years uh you, <laughs> you know there have been so many um i, I don't West know Hampton's where to begin <laughs> i don't know where to begin with that one i do remember one night um this was absolutely horrendously horrible it was a train wreck of gargantuan proportions um we were at a, a venue called the pond at anaheim and uh anaheim california los yeah. angeles and and it's a beautiful uh arena and i don't know we might have had eight or nine thousand people ten thousand people there i don't know what we had 12 and um uh i used to do a joke this has been 20 something years ago i used to do a joke at night about uh congratulations you just won a lifetime supply of Riceroni, the San Francisco treat, you know, and that was, that was my punchline. And, uh, so that I, I knew about where to, I wanted to do that every night. And I don't even remember how we would get there, but that was my punchline. Riceroni, San Francisco treat. Okay. We're in Anaheim and Anaheim was playing San Francisco in, in a huge rivalry ball game that was happening like at the same time or maybe the next night, I think it was supposed to be the next night after we were there, but it was a huge rivalry. And I didn't run that through my brain about San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, 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 I'm doing, I'm getting ready to do that joke. And we had a comedian on the tour at the time. His name was Taylor Mason. He was a, a puppet guy and a really funny guy. And Taylor came out and sat down, pulled up a chair and sat down beside me about three minutes before I did this joke. And I didn't get it. And I said, what are you doing out here? He said, I just thought I'd come out and hear some of the programming. It's really good. So I do the joke. And when I got to Rice and Ronin's San Francisco treat, you've never heard 10,000 more angry Anaheimians booing the guitar player it was the, the, this giant vacuum sound you know of the air just leaving the arena and then this gargantuan boo well i got so tickled at that because i i realized suddenly a lot of things realized it didn't run it through my brain realized how horrible it was and i realized why taylor had come out he knew i was going to do that line and would never think about it and I looked at him and he said, yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> and um, so they, it took them forever to quit booing me. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Oh, my goodness. And, and uh, so at the end of that concert, I went to him. I said, you knew I was going to do that. He said, oh, yeah. He said, you're, you're, you're amazing. You're, you're just absolutely, you plow no matter what. And I knew that would never hit your brain. I wanted to see it. So, uh he came out to watch the train wreck, you know. So uh, anyway, since then, I have run everything through my brain that I possibly can think of, and I still make mistakes. But that was one of the one of the most awesome boos you could get. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, that's the, well, it's not the best, but um, 
that's pretty funny. <laughs> but I have an embarrassing moment for you um, of mine. When we first met, when I first um, was introduced to you, when yeah. one day when I was at the Gaither tour, because um, prior, before I knew you, I knew Dina, the road manager for the tour. And right. the day of this concert, she comes up to me and says, do you mind working Kevin's table tonight? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and like, before I like really knew you, I just knew you as like this really like jovial, um, like happy go lucky guy. And kind of from what other people have said, what she said or what Greg and Charlotte Ritchie have said. So I, I was like, yeah, why not? And so we're walking to the table, like through the concourse that night. And she's like, Oh, by the way, he's very particular. So just be on your toes. And I'm like, what does she mean? What does Be she on mean? your toes. I love it. Yeah. So I get there and I'm like, I'm ready to crawl under your table that night. I'm like freaking out. I'm like a puddle of nerves. Everything Why? is like going through my mind. So I'm like, holy guacamole. Like, what does she mean? Be on your toes. So oh, I don't know why funny. I was freaking out so much. But then I met you and I'm like, wait. He's not like, per- I wouldn't say he's very particular. Like, I would just say he's very organized. And I'm like, I'm very organized. So, does she mean that I'm particular? So, like, I'm like, I remember you, you absolutely did a great job. I totally remember that. I, I love for that. And Dina respects this. She, she always kind of looks out for me. Um, I love for the table experience. Uh, it, it's going to be the only experience that the audience gets to to reach out, touch, talk, share, you know. Otherwise, yeah. it's a one-way one, one way thing coming from the stage. And so at the table, it's a different thing. That becomes their stage. So um, I like that, and I, I like for that to run uh, very highly so that if somebody's wanting to buy a CD or get something signed or whatever, that that happens fast and efficiently, and I can take care of everybody, but then also get these stories too and, and make sure everybody's – got a chunk of what they came for. So uh, she always looks out for me because it, it that does take some doing sometimes. You have to have somebody that's good with people and good with getting the transaction or whatever's going to happen on that side done. And then, uh, you know, so that I can have some freedom. And uh, I remember you being very great with the people because you're, you're a people person. You love people. I can tell that about you. And uh, uh, we, we love to have that reflect on us too when we're, you know, in, in a concert venue you want your table people to be smiles and friendly and helpful and and caring you know oh my goodness but I just remember that moment and I was like I was just so nervous to like actually meet you I was like oh no he's gonna hate me and then I was like that's hilarious then I met you and I was like oh Kevin is just the best guy ever he's so nice and no I seriously do mean that like you've just been such a cheerleader and I'm just so blessed to know you but well, yeah. likewise, and, and your parents as well, too. We, we just think the world of you, and uh, you have such a great future. And, you're, you know, I, I believe I, I come from the old Zig Ziglar school, and you'll have to look him up, Megan. But he was uh, the first and foremost worldwide trainer and speaker uh, in self-development and in uh, uh, basically teaching others how to be more uh, do more, have more, and, and and make the most out of yourself and your life. So uh, I met him when I was about 17, 18 years old, 
changed my life forever. And uh, he he was he spoke around the world, you know, just on and on and on. I have since become um, I'm I'm actually certified as a trainer and speaker uh, coach with Ziegler International. Uh, so I get to speak on behalf of them uh, from time to time and, and integrate with them in some work projects and, and believe in what they're doing. But Zig said, uh, it is your attitude, not just your aptitude, that determines your ultimate altitude. And I always thought that was the cutest little statement, and you have that attitude. You are uh, a winner. You're you're a born winner, and then you've actually chosen to win yourself too. And, and that shows in the way you approach people, the way you approach life, and your career. You've uh, you've prayed about it. You've committed it to God, and then you're walking in the path that He's laid down for you. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense, but that's what we're called to do as children of God and as faith people. And, and I see you doing that with your life. And you're how old now, Megan? I'm 21. 21. See, and my oldest daughter is 21, and I see that in her as well. And and to make a, a statement with your life like you're already doing at 21, instead of having to go through 20 years of mistakes and make that statement at 41, uh, that's pretty incredible. And uh, we all believe in you, and we know that you have the right stuff to, to go far, not only in business uh, and in, in music and whatever you – uh, wherever you find that perfect niche for you, but you, you're going to go far in life. You are a leader of people, and, and that shows about you. Oh, Kevin, that is just so affirming. I appreciate that so much. I know a winner when I see one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I just Thank you for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. And I, well, I've totally enjoyed being on your show, too. This is fun. So, um Please let me know when uh, when I can come back and we'll do this again. And uh, I'm uh, I'm going to be listening for every uh, podcast that you do. I, I think it's going to be great. And uh, let us know what we can do in the future. And we will see everybody down the road somewhere at a Gaither concert. Can I give everybody my website as well? Would that be yeah, okay? Yeah, go for it. So it's kevinwilliamsmusic.com if you want to learn any more about me or if you'd like to have me in your church as a solo artist or whatever, a uh, night of uh, music and humor and, and uh, that kind of thing, uh, all the information is on the website. The bio is there. Uh, the projects are in the store on the website. So um, kevinwilliamsmusic.com and uh, drop me a line through there. Facebook and Twitter is one Kevin Williams, and we'd love to uh, to get in contact with you. God bless you, Megan, and thanks again for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, Kevin. We'll see you soon. All right, see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, sweet friends. Thanks for hanging out with us on the podcast today. Head over to our Facebook and Instagram to see all that's happening with This Day Music Official. And check out our new YouTube channel to see more behind-the-scenes content. Know that you guys are so, so loved.